Hey there, ghosties. Welcome to episode 98 of the Ghost Lights podcast. Today's guest is Andrew Scoville. Sco, the director of Theater of the Mind and so much more. We talked about his entry point into theater and how it uh, evolved into directing, finding his voice within that, and the importance of relationships and presence in the moment. I hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure that you visit... Uh, the Denver Center box office website to get tickets. We've got a lot of them still open for this week. And with that, here's War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Welcome back, Ghosties, to episode 98 of the Ghost Lights Podcast. And today's guest is Andrew Scoville. Sco, the director of Theater of the Mind, as well as many other things. He has uh, been so so uh, awesome with his time out there in New York to speak to us this week. Uh, Sco, how are you? I'm great, Sam. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's it's an absolute pleasure. Um, I try to have as many directors on that I work with as possible because that's such a it's such an important extension of the performance art medium. And obviously, I mean, that's kind of seems obvious to say, but I redundant. We're off to a great start. And I wanted to like I wanted to make sure that you you do things as an immersive director that sometimes differ from the what we would say a normal proscenium show would be so we'll we'll definitely cover that as we go awesome. um my my first question to you as always we'll just dump jump right into it is theater how did it happen to you yeah it definitely is something that happens to you i started becoming interested in middle school and i remember auditioning for a couple of plays in middle school that um, I didn't go well. So it's, it's interesting that my, <laughs> the first feeling I have of like seeking that community was like really wanting to be a part of it, you know, kind of from the outside. And um, eventually I got, I got an opportunity to, to be in a show. And I think that it was always for me, like I was always holding like two things. Like it was always theater, but there was always something else also. And mm. I feel like I, I was always, theater and I were like dating for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like a long engagement. Yeah. And it's um, complicated. It was complicated with, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think for me, I just, really was um, seeking community and I enjoyed the people and the way in which those people and I got to be together mm. um, and playing, playing, um, you know, make-believe in front of people, just sort of how it started for me as an actor also. Um, mm -hmm. It was really like, you know, always, always changing. I, I loved the, the temporariness of it, that it, it came and it went. Um, and I, I always appreciated um, being a part of the, the larger group and all of us kind of having this idea of like a shared goal. And for mm -hmm. a while I was, you know, playing soccer and stuff in middle school and in high school. And um, it gets to a point with things where you, your enjoyment of them, like, isn't enough in a way. You have mm -hmm. to be like really contributing. <laughs> and, I, and it became clear to me. Um, and, you know, there's a bit of ego in this as, as there is for everybody. But um, I, I just felt more valued, you know, in the theater space. And mm. I felt more... Um, like I could more often do things well. Yeah. And that was a good feeling, you know, and I wanted more of that feeling. I wanted to um, participate in something that felt like it was um, 
positively impacting my life in, in many, in all, all kinds of different ways. So there was like a confidence that came with being part of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always considered myself very crafty. So I like got involved er- early on in like, pr- I think I did like props for a one act. It was like mm-hmm. my first plug in actually, you know? Nice. And I liked building those and I liked having those projects to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't, it wasn't for a long time. Uh, it wasn't until like end of high school and uh, definitely more formally in college where I, you know, decided that it was directing, that it was theater, but it was directing. Mm-hmm. And that was really just because I, I didn't want to pick. I wanted to be involved in everything. And that felt like, that felt like the, the way that I could do that. Yeah. You talked about the, the, feeling more valued in the theatrical the theatrical world was that more like a a value you felt for yourself andrew as a whole as opposed to like in soccer sometimes we are valued for a specific skill set or you know our our work ethic and that kind of makes us feel smaller when focusing on those things do you feel a, a more balanced valued system there i think so and i think yeah. I think balance is part of it. And I also think um, everyone's naturally inclined somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And we're always searching for that thing. And I felt like I was not, I was not naturally inclined. And I had to try really hard at certain things like soccer, mm-hmm. you know, really mm-hmm. try. And and for all my efforts, um, you know, it was always just almost good enough, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and something about the environment of theater and the way that I plugged into it and the, um, the, what is needed mm-hmm. to make it happen, I just felt like it was a more effortless plug-in for me. And mm-hmm. I was able to confidently engage in a lot of different aspects that all led to something great. And then, you know, someone afterwards being like, that was, that was so great. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you. You know, or like, so I can't believe you did that, you know, yeah. and that kind of feeling um, is attractive when you're young and you're so searching for a sense of belonging. Absolutely. That effortless um, falling into things, how did that manifest for you in terms of directing and, and, and being able to have your hand in all of the production's efforts? Yeah, I think that became more effortful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, you know, when you start to apply craft, mm-hmm. um, the game changes. Um, and so I would say it was um, not, I, I would say effortlessness was a feeling at the beginning. Yeah. And then I would say that developed into a sort of curiosity to learn more and to learn about um the history of it all and and how how it all came to be and what the not necessarily right way to do things but how how can you do more um in this arena mm-hmm. and i just it was just like kind of an insatiable curiosity of different ways to plug in that led me to wanting to pursue directing which mm-hmm. as i said i think there's a lot of reasons why people get into directing particularly and for me it really was um being able to be in relationship with everybody on the team and so that was that was obvious to me i wouldn't say it was effortless at that point Mm. but it was a natural state it was a natural state for me to have lots of things going on at once and to um exist sort of as a part of the whole thing yeah when I'm going to backtrack a little bit talking about, you know, how at the start of middle school or in middle school, the, the attraction to, to live theater kind of started to take hold was what were the, the, the circumstances? Like, did you see a play? Did like, were you around theater kids in, in class taking a class? Hmm. I, I just, I remember early on, um, whenever it was our choice as to how a project would manifest, I would be inclined to like make a scene wow. or, um, this was like, 
we were just getting into like, um, you know, camcorders being really available and really uh, handy and, mm -hmm. and, and expensive, but cheap enough where like your parents would let you touch it, you know, like, <laughs> and, and it would be like, scary but okay mm -hmm. um and i would like make a commercial or like make a short bit so like there was just always something about the production of it mm -hmm. um that i just gravitated to when i got to choose how um how it would manifest so i think in doing that you just start to find people that you enjoy spending time with you know and i think yeah. it was i think it was like some um was it yeah it was like it was some teachers it was also like the spaces like being in the theater mm -hmm. and like being in the shops and um walking through where they store all the props and scenery like i just i love that i could sit in rooms like that all the time like my favorite part about working regionally is always like the props warehouses that you just can't have in the city you know yeah. and you just like walk through these rows and rows of chests and like mm -hmm. uh doors and like I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. Um, like taking that kind of stroll. So um, yeah, I just feel like it was, it was primarily, um, it was primarily like the people, but it was also, there's also the environments that we found ourselves in. Nice. If I do a YouTube deep dive, I'm going to find any of your parody music videos on there. No, but you will find some stuff. You'll <laughs> find some hilarious stuff. All right, you then. might find no there 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 are some like abstract um video art that i made yeah oh, i nice. think there's some i think there's a there's a video of me um smashing a computer just out of college as performance art somewhere on the internet nice um, nice a la office space yeah definitely nice. definitely that's really cool <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the stories that uh, inspired and like motivated you at at the helm of shows like what did you seek out to to create i was really obsessed with um like stories about what i perceived at the time to be um just a totally normal everyday kind of guy you know mm. my my perceptions of of normal and this idea of every man have certainly been challenged as i've gotten older and had more lived experience and met more people whose experiences are outside of my own. Mm -hmm. um, but at the time, I, I uh, early on when I started creating my own stuff and started directing, I was very attracted to like Walter Mitty characters and like um, uh, Faust characters, mm -hmm. um, these seemingly unspectacular people who um, are pulled into or find themselves in some kind of spectacular situation, whether it's a dream, reality, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been um, interested in unpacking what was sort of um, described to me in my upbringing in the suburbs, mm -hmm. described to me as like sort of like this, I, this idea of like neutral, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I was always interested to unpack that and get to the underbelly of that and um, understand, you know, what's so, what's, what's going on, what's like the psychology in here, because everything is, um, nothing's on the surface that is uh, compl complex, you mm -hmm. know? Absolutely. Um, and so uh, digging deep into sort of an everyday kind of um, assumption um, was exciting to me. Mm. Have you felt that through that exploration that the, with the clarity of that type of, um, suburban ideal, maybe right. have you, have you been, I guess the word I'm looking for is rewarded in your search for those stories or have you been like disappointed on how that's kind of shifted over time? No, it was good. It yeah. was good, and I feel like I processed some things about what it was like to be in that place, um, and why, you know, maybe maybe part of being drawn to theater was a sort of, I don't know, like 
there's always something else going on. Uh, mm-hmm. There's like a strangeness to the whole thing that's not acknowledged that I just felt uh, attuned to. Mm-hmm. And so it was like helpful to process that and um, helpful to find um, stories and plays that, um, I don't know, took a more like fantastical approach to um, that that kind of uh, everyman character. Yeah. Do you feel that there needs to be kind of, um, do you need to seek out that otherworldly state to unpack, to really unpack those types of stories as opposed to staying on a, a, a more linear, realistic avenue? Sure do. Mm. sure do it's it's um it's like a blessing and a curse kind of situation how so Um, i just uh i always am looking for something that's like um complicated Mm. and uh nothing is as it seems and some big theatrical spectacle that um puts everything just slightly above or below um, the baseline. I, I've, I, even when I would do like more tr- traditional stuff, like in college, mm. um, I was always like fucking it up. You know, <laughs> I was always like, like um, making them all birds or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> <laughs> like only like doing the play, but only letting everyone walk in uh, one line or, you know, just like really, really um really big spatial or um conceptual gestures that Mm. uh, pull it out of how it was intended to be presented yeah it's it's really it's really cool that you you bring up the, the the some of the choices that you you would infuse into these pieces how did you cultivate your voice one of the things that i've enjoyed about my process my 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 space in the process of theater of the mind is the ability of which I felt you and the ADs, Betty Hart and Amanda Berg Wilson did at communicating vision. And I feel that that's really tied to a director's voice. How did you cultivate that? I'm in a con, I think it's a constant state of cultivation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you received was probably felt it sounds to me and you speaking about it felt more organized and um clear than i ever uh <laughs> <Felt>. <laughs> could have met. like yeah that i ever felt yeah. though you hope you know what mm-hmm. i mean you hope but yeah, yeah but when you're architecting that stuff you really um you really are just sort of hoping that it's going to be it's going to be clear and it's going to make sense and that was mm-hmm. what was so valuable about working with betty and amanda so early on was that uh really was like a sounding board to uh, of how we were gonna articulate the process. And I think my, you said the word vision and I was just talking to somebody about vision, directorial vision, hmm. um, and sort of like what that means to different people. And I, um, you know, I really, I did, I used to think that directorial vision was like the play, but they're all birds, mm-hmm. you know? And that that to me was like, how I would have uh, seen vision. And now, and the more I work with um, people who bring a lot of vision to the table, like David Byrne, our mm-hmm. author and creator, yeah. um, and Mala mm-hmm. Dankar, our other author and creator. Um, I, the more I work with people like that who bring a lot of vision to the table, the more I see directorial vision as being a, actually about articulating the process. I'm not actually, um, I can't guarantee or tell you at the beginning what every moment is going to look like or how it's going to manifest. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what I think I can do is tell you how we're going to put this thing together and mm-hmm. what are the steps going to be to get us there and be prepared to bring everybody into each and every phase or step of the process. So I've, I've sort of reframed vision to mean sort of showing the path, being able to articulate the path, mm-hmm. the process that it's going to be to get it from beginning to the end, mm-hmm. as opposed to this idea of like, this is how it's all going to look. This is how it's going to feel. This is the complete sort of package yeah. as an, as the idea of vision. Um, 
and when you when you invite more complexity in, like you like we did for theater of the mind, certainly. Um, complexity. You get, you get, you really get in trouble if you're too set in what you think it's going to end up being, you know? Yeah, very true. Um, there has to be a kind of flexibility and an openness that I think um, so can sometimes seem at odds with the idea of directorial vision, but actually like is, um, it is the best version of the vision. Yeah, it, to me, it sounds like there's more of an emphasis on being of service to the material and to the creatives around you. Like, mm -hmm. I would say being in service to being in service to that moment that it's received. Mm -hmm. We're all we're all working towards the moment that someone that's not us walks in and starts to experience the thing. Yeah, and I always feel like everyone's yeah the the vision has to be shared, right? Mm -hmm. Like the end goal has to be shared. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, that's that's how you get buy-in in the collaborative process. Mm. If it, it becomes if it becomes too isolated, if it becomes too individual focused, you lose people along the way. They might stick around, but their maybe their level of effort could be questioned mm. in mm -hmm. those regards. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I wonder you've talked that mentioned how a transition away from more air quotes, traditional theater. Um, you focus predominantly on immersive experiential stuff now? I do, because that's the, the, that's, that's the phone calls I get. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, when someone's like, in those rare, beautiful instances where someone's like, what are you, what are you, what are you working on? What do you want to do? You know, yeah. and someone really like invites your, mm. um, your brain in, in, into the mix. Uh, it, they, they always manifest in some kind of unique relationship to the audience or some big playable game or a show that is participatory. Um, that's just where my head is at. So yeah, yeah I, I would say that that's true at this point. I haven't been called to direct a, a play play in God knows how long. It's been well, a while. Uh, I, I would, it would be interesting to see like your take on some of these, like, I don't know, 12 Angry Men or a couch play of some kind. <laughs> yeah, if you want 12 Angry Men to actually happen like in a in a trial room and mm -hmm. you know, you're you you walk in, you buy you're going to pay 40 bucks to play one of the Angry Men. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> you know. It's like I think but I think it's 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 like they're all birds. They're all birds and people just people just start to um I don't know. Expect a expect a certain thing when you become yeah. a freelance director for hire. Mm -hmm. um, you, yeah, people just call you for certain things. It's just nice. naturally how it happens, and you kind of have to willfully move the needle if 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 that's of interest to you. Yeah, um, which can be hard. Yeah, totally. What what types of muscles did you have to flex in that transition? Where did you struggle, if at all? I mean, I feel like I just struggled all the whole time and I feel like in mm. some ways I still struggle. Um, and it's, it's just the, but I, the struggle wasn't in the transition. I was, I was pursuing, I was walking through the doors that were opening, mm -hmm. you know? And so it moving more into this work um, is because I was just fortunate enough to have those opportunities to, to do it. And it was, ex it always sounded exciting. And, um, and so, yeah, this, this, the struggle for when, when I think about the struggles that I've faced, I, I'm not sure they're necessarily unique to mm -hmm. the moving artistically from more air quotes, traditional work yeah. into this more like immersive or experiential work. The, the struggle is just in being an artist in this mm. society and economy yeah. and, and being valued and trying to actually um, live your life and support yourself, yeah. no matter what kind of work you're doing. Um, that's, I think that's where the struggle to um, stick with it and to do anything, you know, yeah. comes in, comes in. Mm -hmm. And for me, the move to the move to this immersive experiential work has actually opened more opportunities because um 
you know, companies like Netflix and um, all these big companies, they, they want to be doing stuff like this. And so there's, I have found more opportunities for myself in this space. Mm. That the more, more space to move into without much resistance, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Outside of your own. Outside of my own. And like all of a sudden, all of a sudden there's like this thing that I've been cultivating these skill sets of being a director are interesting to somebody that's not in theater at all. Yeah. Now all of a sudden they're like interested in that skill set. And I'm like, absolutely. Like I'm always trying to advocate for like for my students and stuff like the crossover the the when you go through theater school you know when you learn the skill sets of being a director or a project leader of any kind Mm -hmm. um you are you are gaining some incredibly transferable skills about communicating about Mm -hmm. architecting a process people don't realize that that's that's a really unique skill to be to be able to sit down and be like here's a thing Mm -hmm. here's where we need to get and i'm going to show us all how to get there yeah that's that's an extremely valuable skill you know? Absolutely. Um, and there's just so many of them. So any opportunity that I get to step over into another space, and I think this is part of my fascination with like working with science material as well. Mm-hmm. It just feels like you get to kind of like dip into another place, um, dip into another space and and see where see where the opportunities for overlap will take you. Yeah. I definitely want to touch base on um, your attraction to science here in a little bit that you, as you mentioned on the eclectic with Donnie Betts, who's also one of our guides in theater of the mind. Great podcast. I was glad he was able to have some time with you as well. But uh, as we've been talking for this, this little bit of time, I, I get the sense that you operate and correct me if I'm wrong in this space of, I create space for opportunity as opposed to try and force a thing it and it's and it's and it's unique cuz what I, like i i think what i'm trying to what i'm trying to say is like there doesn't seem to be any expectation behind how your career should exist in a given moment and where it should be going next and that type of awareness of moment like in in your path on your journey is really interesting to me. Have you, do you feel like you've kind of always been in that space or is that something that developed over time? I would say I'm like constantly trying to keep that space alive, Mm. keep that idea of um, presence and gratitude um, in the face of expectation. And the longer it goes, the longer my career goes, the harder it is to stay centered on a sort of presence and uh, um, and not feel the amounting sense of expectation or what I should be doing or where I should be heading or what mm-hmm. my next thing should be. Um, it's very it's difficult, but um, I'm I'm committed to it. And my favorite part about the this whole lifestyle has been this sense of serendipity, this sense of just like, um, this thing, this thing comes up to me. I mean, I, you can always connect the dots and see where it comes from, but in the moment, it seems like totally random. Um, Mm. and I just feel like my path has been, like pursuing, pursuing the doors that have been open to me Mm. and, and trying to really say yes, uh, to things that take me on an adventure, things mm-hmm. that are going to challenge me. Um, and, you know, I spent a long time as like making most of my income as like a technician, you know, mm-hmm. like a theater technician. And um, that took, it took me like all over the world, like touring with these small downtown theater companies. And mm-hmm. if you could have told me that, like when I started interning for them or whatever, I'd never believe it, you know, but there's just like, for all of the struggles mm. that and all the challenges that this lifestyle presents, I it's incredible to feel like anything is really possible or anything could happen next month or the next 
Yeah. What's terrifying about this? Like, I actually don't know what's happening. <laughs> that's, you know what I mean? like, yeah, that's the that's the that's the dark side of it. That's like the terrifying part of it. Totally. But really, if you can, um, if you can like take that and also let the other side in, which is mm. like this incredible potential, this incredible sense of um, of adventure and this feeling of answering the call, yeah. um, that I've just always I've always felt like um, inclined to operate in that way to just like um to try to to try to move with a sense of um almost like randomness and Mm -hmm. uh and adventure yeah i I, forgive me i i love i love what you just said there i i wonder how does that exist in your parenting Mm. that's it yeah that is that is my parenting Mm. um well, uh, I will often one one concrete example is like I will often like walk out the door with my son if we have like a day free and we won't exactly know what we're getting into, um, but it'll always start with a question that's like, should we take a walk or should we hop on the train? You know, mm-hmm. and it's like I I live in this city because it affords me the opportunity to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um. I and and it feels like I'll never I'll never not have something new to explore here there's always something like that so um definitely definitely uh try to bring in try to bring that in in our and when ernie and i are hanging out Mm -hmm. um and also i feel like that's why that's it took me a while to realize but that's why the pandemic was like so hard for me because and why i felt so creatively kind of unmotivated during a lot of it Mm -hmm. was because i i didn't i couldn't I couldn't just pursue delight in that way and like a really physical way of like getting out and going and seeing something or just like taking a walk and like, which you're going to take a left or a right. Um, even just so simple as like making that decision in the moment is like something I need. I really need to be able to just like make a, make a decision and uh, mm-hmm. see where it goes. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I, I, I don't know. I've just been, latched on to that idea you know you you mentioned your your situation this evening i'm like that seems like a really cool dad so <laughs> i had to i had to ask thank that you. question oh thank you um i need to get some more water and um let's uh we'll, we'll take a little break and hopefully we'll have a little bit more time with you and talk a little science and theater of the mind awesome yeah awesome hi I'm David Byrne. I'd like to invite you on an adventure. I've co-created a new immersive show called Theater Theater of the Mind. Mind. Our guides will lead you through a series of experiences you'll see, feel, taste, and hear to examine how we perceive the world and how we shape our identities. It's all inside your head. But is any of it real? Find out starting August 31st. Tickets at theaterofthemindenver.com. I appreciate it. Uh, we're, we're back, ghosties. <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about um, my my failed baking endeavors. <laughs> I, I'm Sco. Talk to me first about how this process of theater of the mind kind of how you existed within this process you you know how you got the opportunity and then just kind of what without giving too much of away because we still got months of the show to go um where you felt your place was in it it really came at like a moment of confluence where i was starting to dip my toe into larger scale immersive work and I have always been in pursuit of science, but um, had just had some opportunities to kind of really delve in and and work with some real concepts. And um, and I had I had previously worked with David on Here mm-hmm. Lies Love as the associate director, so it really felt like um, sort of like the perfect storm mm-hmm. when when uh, the show came to my attention and. The show did come to my attention after, 
you know, it occurred in Menlo Park and they had done a whole version of it there. Mm -hmm. They were starting to think about infusing more story into it. And so um, one place I knew that I could immediately plug in was in this desire from David and Mala to make the project less of a lab feel and more um, of a human emotional feel. Mm -hmm. And I have learned that that is a skill set that I have taken for granted of mm. sort of being able to um, hu humanize um, what is seen as what like um, non non typically theatrical material mm -hmm. or concepts, um, and a lot of times, well, I'll say. I'll say that the um, so that that's that's how I came to it, mm -hmm. and I our our first our first sort of collaboration on the project was uh, was working on the story was mm -hmm. looking at the script that they had brought uh, that they had they had started working on and sort of talking about the dramaturgy of it yeah. and the um, the arc of the story and the character mm -hmm. and that that became my first plug-in and meanwhile I was acclimating myself to all of the experiments and all of the conditions necessary for the experiment to occur mm -hmm. because it's complicated and those conditions uh, drive the design of the show. Yeah. And then the story is, uh, the stories informs it next, you know, but, but the condition for the science to occur was the starting place for each room. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was it was really interesting. It was like a lot of stuff. Uh, you sometimes you're you you come in and there's always some givens, right? There's always some um, non-negotiables that come yeah. with the project. If you're if you're brought in by a playwright to a pre-existing play or something that's like close to being finished, that's a non-negotiable, mm -hmm. right? The words of the text. Um, and that wasn't necessarily true at the beginning. They were really seeking to to refine the script and to change mm -hmm. the script. But the non-negotiables for us were the realities of the science and what was necessary to make them happen. And so it was just a really interesting container to work in and one yeah. that I, I quite enjoyed. The Talking about like the non-negotiables, how would you pick up, um, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me find a better way to come into this. Working on this particular piece, script is still a living thing it's still evolving is that something that you are accustomed to like working on a workshop type area space definitely uh, yes then what i would what i want to ask with that then is how how do you what do you think your role is in a workshop space as a director then to show how the current ideas will live and breathe mm -hmm. and to observe and reflect back what I'm observing based on what's there. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't typically feel like it's my job to change things or even make suggestions. Mm -hmm. That time comes um, when you start to get down to the wire, Yeah. but uh, I think early on, it's really about trying to, my role is to really try to understand what it is that the writers or the creators are hoping to achieve so that I can do the best job of bringing that up. And in that understanding, mm -hmm. we hit lots of questions. We hit lots of points of um, potential clarification Mm -hmm. And that I hope is useful. Yeah, like, that's interesting. I, I, I mean, it certainly, it certainly feels like with, when you're working with immersive material and it's often devised that you, or at least still in flux when you get at the start of it, that things could always change and evolve. That the best thing to do is take what is there today and offer it up to those that are in control of how it exists in the final form and say, yes, this works. This is a struggle. 
we can work with this, but it could be better. Things like that. Yeah. Mm. Is, 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 is existing in that space at all frustrating or is it just, again, going back to just being as, as present as you can be in those responsibilities that helps you get through those times in the process? Yeah, I don't, I don't find it frustrating. I find it to be um, invigorating. Like mm. I spent a lot of time, especially right after college in, in a devised space, you know, mm-hmm. and when you're, when you're doing that work as the director, you're also often like the writer or facilitating the writing, the group to generate the, you're the content generator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the designers rely heavily on, on you because you're the, you're kind of seeing the forest for the trees. You kind of have a, you have a vision of like where it's going without it actually being there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that shit's hard. That's like very hard. Yeah. Um, and to me, I've always been invigorated when I am with people who are as passionate about the thing, if mm-hmm. not more than I am. It, it makes me want to work hard. And it also makes me feel like um, I'm not the only one who has to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I prefer to be in that, in that feeling. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you in that during those processes where you're working on on the piece how much focus do you give to the variable of the audience like on specifically theater of the mind or in general in general but also theater of the mind where like how how is this going to be perceived those types of thoughts well it's 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 interesting with immersive work because the way you you have to let them in so Mm. much sooner i.e at the conception of the piece because they will be participants in it yeah um so it's healthy Mm -hmm. right in non in in work that isn't immersive in that way or doesn't have that relationship to the audience uh it's it's always felt a bit of like a trap to try to meet expectations of the audience or to Mm. let their perception of what it's going to be in too early like the best thing I can do in those spaces is just try to watch what's going on mm-hmm. with like, like Dory from finding Nemo. I just like forgot everything about the show and yeah. I'm just watching it. Right. Um, but in, in immersive work, the audience, I think the best, the best work is, is actually conceived for the audience. They are that they're the centerpiece of it mm-hmm. and they're, without their involvement, the piece does not exist. It wouldn't just happen, you know? Yeah. Interesting. That's really cool. Um, how can you touch on just how much, I, I mean, not how much, I mean, it sounds like the entire piece of all work is focused on theater of the mind. Is it, is it trickier now than it has been in the past when, when devising things with audience at the center point? Um, theater of the mind was was interesting because I also arrived to a pretty specific given when it came to the audience too. Yeah, one actor, sixteen audience members. Um, that was always going to be the game, mm-hmm. and that is determined by one of the rooms where that is the maximum amount of people who can experience the thing based on the geography of the room. Ah. So. We had that number and then every other room which has a little more flexibility we were just like okay well then it'll be 16 buckets okay well then it'll be 16 stools okay then we just need 16 chairs like it it was easy Mm -hmm. um but uh so it's nice to know yeah it's nice to kind of know right Mm -hmm. uh how they're going to engage and also um and also on this project, the audience's actual role in it evolved all through test audiences, you know, mm-hmm. the workshops, um, even refining in our rehearsal process when we brought yeah. everybody on. Um, so it's interesting, like they, the, the performance definitely does not exist without them. Mm-hmm. And 
this experience is more has always felt more to me like buckling into a ride you know that goes yeah. on a, like mr toad's wild ride you know mm -hmm. and you like are just you're on the trajectory like i've never set staging so early not that it didn't change but like like i set the staging like when i was just looking at when what, as soon as the ground plan happened it was like the ground plan is here what we need next is to just know exactly what the staging is going to be and that's fine because it doesn't it does, it actually is, well, I mean, you, you should, you can speak to this more like from the inside, but like, to me, it's not, it's not limiting to, for this particular project to be like, here's all the staging. It's freeing because you actually need to get to the other stuff to make the performance your own. You actually need to just like get that part under your belt in terms of how you trigger the technology and, and where, where you have to stand in the room based on the science or the sound or whatever. Mm -hmm just getting getting through all that so you can actually get to the the joy of it the uh, personalization process of it of how yeah. you make it your own um which has to be a layer on top of all of that stuff no yeah yeah i i just think about where where i you know entered in on it and how i can talk about my own mindset as a creative like how i was like I got the job. All right, I got to do. I got to know everything as fast as possible, and I got to be show ready as fast as possible. That's how. That's how I am. You were ready all, fast too, all the time. Well, that, that's there's a lot. There's a lot of late nights. A lot of yeah. late nights go in the early going. Just fear, fear based. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then I, I felt once I got to that comfort with material, that I never worried about the tech side stuff, I always trusted that it would be there. And that, that was freeing. And I, and I think it's because again, going back to the way at which it always felt like to me that there was a conversation had before notes were ever disseminated. Mm -hmm. And so that there was like, there was a messaging that was followed. That's how I, I took it in. Mm. And, and, and sometimes there would be a thing that would be said and then it would be, articulated in a different way by an ad or by yourself or sometimes david would jump in and i was like ah okay great and then other people and, and the beauty about having a process where you have 13 other actors in the room they especially on this project are allowed space to discuss their misgivings their questions their things that are working for me maybe we, there's space for this for all of us and then having those conversations and not ever feeling like the floor was limited to a select few with, you know, inside information made, mm -hmm. made knowing that when I got an audience, I'd be ready and that they would be taken care of before they ever saw me. Yeah. Love it. Big yeah. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what, what is it about science that pulls you in, that you are a fan of? Is there any relationship to your exploration of the world from a scientific standpoint that also links up with your understanding of those everyman archetypes? Probably. They're probably very related. Hmm. Um, I haven't thought about that part of my creative life in so long, mm. um, where we kind of started this, the, the Walter Mitty of it all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's like, I think there's part of me that lashes against or like bucks against this. Um, it's just never as simple as it seems, right? Mm -hmm. It can't ever be as, as polished and organized and perfect for lack of a better word. Than, yeah. it, than it seems. Yeah. And I think what draws me to science is that it often feels quite chaotic and quite random. Mm -hmm. And and it makes it makes me feel like the littlest blip in a whole mass of everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm I feel freed by that thought. Mm -hmm. Um I feel I feel like good knowing that 
whatever I'm able to accomplish in this life is just a little piece and is enough and is fine. And um, inquiry into science gives me that feeling of um, being, being a part of something like that. Yeah. And I also don't see it as like the opposite of like uh, mythology. Like there's so much, there's so much mythology in science. I mean, I'm taking a lot of people's word for it when I, when I like <laughs> decide that that works, that that explanation of that works for me mm-hmm. from a scientific mm-hmm. perspective, I'm really taking quite a leap of faith because yeah. I don't have any way to yeah. confirm or deny the same way, you know, anybody who believes in any faith mm-hmm. that they hold, you know, about humanity or, or being part of something larger. Uh, there's always a leap that has to happen. And that, that leap to me has to happen in scientific inquiry as well for me as a human being. But also you got to think like even the people who know the most about the, the, the most niche thing, yeah. they're still taking a leap about all the other things that they, that they don't know all of that about. There's like mm. a whole, um, there's a whole, whole system of belief inside of it that I just find fascinating. And I, um, uh, just, I feel like there's a lot of untapped stories. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of um, yeah. drama, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's epic as hell. And I want to de- I want to delve into more of that, you know? Mm-hmm. When you were talking, um, one of the images that leapt to mind was a Family Guy reference. And uh, it's Peter's videotaping a plastic bag caught in an draft a la American beauty and God interrupts this reverie and says, do you have any idea how complicated your circulatory system is? <laughs> and it's, it, it, it was just, it, it, it really put that film in perspective for me the first time I saw it. But then you think about all the things that are going on inside you at a given moment to just be there. And then this, the, the variable of our brain and how it's been conditioned over time through trauma and knowledge and sleep or lack thereof. And, you know, how you spent your morning. Did you have enough caffeine? Like all of those things at play in a given moment to just allow you to be present in the moment. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. Go, uh, yeah, it's a, but you talk about like it, it it should give us more pause to acknowledge that just like just just us being there is enough mm-hmm. and trying to reach beyond that doesn't necessarily always serve us and it, and it and it seems really in line with what you've been talking about with me this evening that's just creating that space and understanding and sometimes it works for us and sometimes it doesn't but I try to fall back into that whenever I feel that less than. Yeah, and it's like to to me the umbrella. What I like about the the umbrella of science is that it's it's there's an acknowledgement that you can't look beyond mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. You are looking. You you continue to look at us when you look beyond. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like it's all inside our heads. Like. Yeah. After all, yeah. you know, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> our understanding of our circulatory system is, mm-hmm. um, we're observing it, but we're there's only so much we can actually observe about how it functions. Yeah, like the idea that our blood is actually blue at all times until it's exposed to oxygen always, always fucked me up. Like what? Yeah, like exactly. And how could we observe that? We're just assuming, you know. Exactly. And. The same thing about like, um, that's why the brain is such a wonder, right? So many mm-hmm. reasons, but one of them is also that we can never actually observe it um, working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> for me, sometimes that's for damn sure. Like working in its natural state, you know, yeah. as soon as you put it in a certain um, environment, it's uh, it's behaving differently. Yeah. Uh, before we start to transition out of here, I, I before we got started, I, I was going to, like if we have to find a way of workaround of a moment, I wanted to ask you, you know, I'll, I would ask you what piece of live theater have you seen that really j- grabbed you in the last, the last go around that 
is here for me now because I'm intrigued about what were the things that grabbed you in it. What was the last piece of live performance art that you saw that you're like, ah, that excited you? Um, Outside of theater, of the mind runs, of course. Okay, this was it. It was I. Okay, so I had just come back from Denver. Okay. Um, I was making an a real effort to start plugging back in and go seeing a bunch of stuff. And I had a friend who was designing some technology and some content mm. for uh, an immersive activation that was done by Citizens Bank. Actually, they're okay. coming to New York for. They had, I guess they're not a branch that's been here. Now they're coming. And it's called The Living Portrait of NYC. And they very smartly got like a lot of local artists to work on it. And um, not, not only did I feel like it was interesting on an experiential level and the polish of it was um, extremely impressive from my view. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also just hit me in just the right moment because I, was, I had been gone for so long. And when I came back, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of emphasis on individual stories within New York, and also sort of aggregate look at what New Yorkers and people who come to New York are like. And it was um, I just found it very moving because mm-hmm. it was uh, speaking sort of directly to a place that I was in in terms of coming back here and feeling. Uh, just really proud to be here and um, and excited to uh, to take to take advantage of all the city has to offer and um, and it was totally like it was a moment of serendipity. I like had an afternoon free. I was mm-hmm. like in between something. I swung over to check it out. It felt like something I didn't start my day knowing would happen, and so it was just like um, a moment of arrival that uh, that took me. And often, like my, what's happening in my life, uh, and where I'm at is, and where the where the piece meets me is like as important as like what's actually going on on there. Mm-hmm. And I and I've held that as a creator a lot. That like, you know, there's only so much you can actually do to suggest how a person ought to experience a thing, and there's mm-hmm. so much that you can't do. And that is out of your control in terms of how they're going to receive it. And so you might as well go with your gut and on with the people around you in terms mm-hmm. of what the piece wants to be. Cause where, where, where others are coming from. And I think it was just really present with me with this activation that I went to this living portrait um, mm-hmm. experience that just like met me exactly where I was at. And there's something about that, that, um, has nothing to do with actually the, the content at all. It has everything to do with uh, where I was at when I walked in the door. Wow. Yeah. That that sounds, I love, I love those experiences. I mean, it was cool. It was like, yeah. yeah, it was very artfully done. And um, I was impressed because I guess I was expecting, I was expecting something a little more sort of like corporately, um, polished and it was very polished but it just felt like it had a lot of heart no i am uh i'm intrigued by those those types of pieces as of late i've been working on a thing and i really wanted the 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 way of which i've approached it a couple of times in my head and in practice it's been more it's changed in so many ways and one of the things that i really want it to become is like a love letter to my city Mm. And I feel like that's something a, a creative does at some point in their life. It's you've you've spoken so heartfelt and personally about your connection to your city, and um, it's I think one of the reasons why I'm drawn to it in this day and age, at this moment in my life. That's that's more to the point, is that we do such a good job on our own, not as just people in general, to create divisions within Mm. and then poo-pooing other people's entry points to a thing, like a city. Like some people like this about it, but I actually hate this about it, you know, so on and so forth. And, And to have something like that that sounds like it 
in, it, it offers up a lot of different voices and a lot of different entry points to a thing that you had been away from that you have such an attachment to is beautiful. And I was like, mm, that's the thing I want to kind of create for me in Denver. Mm. Yeah. Sko, what is that ghost light you wish that you'd like to leave on for the next generation? I wish that I knew earlier that the experience that people have working on a show mm-hmm. is more valuable than what the show ends up being. I mean that uh, spiritually, but I also mean it professionally. Yeah. And I always felt like the, or I, I spent a lot of time feeling like the product was going to be the thing that provided me with opportunities. Yeah. And it has 99 times out of 100 been the relationship yeah. that was created along the way that has provided the opportunity. And Thanks so I always strive to create uh processes and environments that put a lot of value and emphasis on the individuals who are working inside of it. And that is actually how you get to a product that everyone feels good about. It cannot, it cannot happen without it. And so they're not in conflict with each other. It's actually the only way to do it as I've found. And, um, I try to tell, I try to tell my students this too all the time. It's like, like, look around. These are, these are potentially your people who you're going to be working with for the rest Mm -hmm. of your life or not, but at least you're going to be making some real strides in understanding who your people are. And that will be the difference when you're faced with challenges and you want to either uh, move on to something else or continue with this craft. It will be, it will be uh, so much less about you and so much more about the community that you find yourself in. So it's like if people are not, and not that it's not challenging, but if people aren't generally enjoying the process, Mm -hmm. that is, uh, must be considered when you anticipate how the project is going to be perceived by others. It, there's no way that it doesn't affect it. So for me, the ghost light is um, is relationships and process. Yeah. Really investing in that, really centering it and making it not not as an exercise, as mm-hmm. actually the thing that mm-hmm. you're doing. That's hell yeah. I was snapping my fingers off camera. That's I, while you were talking. I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like the talent will take you really far but it's not enough gas alone I feel like there's gotta be you people have got to want to continue working with you and they might if you're good but that will only go so far if you're a dick or you're not you know you're not giving as much as others and vice versa and so thank you for that for for what it's worth to you i never once felt like an understudy mm. so like there was always i was always talking about it backstage as i am prone to do with my my mindset on a lot of things but i was like oh i feel like this is the moment where i'll start to get phased out and that never happened and so i mean there's a lot of people at work doing that but for you sir Sco, thank you very much always felt like a part of the process and I was really happy to always have a, a seat at that table. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was a it was a pleasure, and we uh, it wasn't a typical process, was it? You know, no. We were know. like day one. Here we go. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I appreciate you uh, you being so open to that, Definitely. and as you mentioned, the, the long nights, which really really showed. Yeah. No. Thank you, um, everyone. Andrew Scoville, the director of Theater of the Mind, and so much more. I hope you have time to go check out Theater of the Mind and uh, really take in this this beautiful piece of work. Um, thank you again, Sco. Thank you. Dan, do the damn thing.
That was fun. Good. Um, Man, glad you had a good was, time. It was a, yeah, it was nice to have a sort of like a different line of questioning that I'm used to. That was more kind of like uh, I don't know, personal. Yeah. And I, like li- like life life. It's also great because I it's like impossible to prepare for. You kind of just have to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.